three, it's the dream team. Adam, Bobby, Josh, you got the news feed. It's the big three, it's the dream team. Big three, IDP, let's go. What's up, you diehards, you degenerates, you lovers of defensive football? This is Josh Raymer, and we are back with another episode of the Big Three IDP Podcast. And I'm joined in the Sode Shack tonight, as always, by Adam Markham on my right, Connor Raymer on my left, and joining us in the virtual Sode Shack. We are so delighted to welcome back one of our absolute favorite guests. You know him from NFL.com and the Around the NFL podcast. Welcome back to the show, Mark Sessler. Mark, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Um, I, I think we, when we last spoke, it was right in the first um, iterations of Corona time, and I was trapped in my house uh, back then, and I'm still essentially trapped in a home. So, um, you know, not much has changed, but suddenly we're beyond the midpoint of the regular season. So uh, it's shot by all at the same time. It's been weird because that felt like the world was starting to teeter on its axis when coronavirus hit. And you thought, okay, uh, maybe the next time we have Mark on the show, things will be a little more normal. Nope. Corona is still rocking our world. We just finished with the election. (laughs) The world felt a little more topsy-turvy last week. Uh, But yeah, the one thing that I think we all worried might get taken away in the midst of the craziness, Mark, is that the NFL season, we might lose games. It might not happen. And thus far, we have to give the NFL some credit. Things have been running along pretty smoothly. Well, I mean, they benefit from being a multi-billion dollar company that can afford this sort of daily testing. I think that's really helped them. Um, The players... I give credit to the players because, you know, there have been a few hiccups here and there, but I my concern was just the human nature element of it, especially now when you get into this time of year where you got a couple teams out there that know that coaching changes are coming, that know that, um, you know, they their players are working for the, on their own future careers and wondering if it will even be with their current teams. And so if you got a health issue, do you check out a little bit? I mean, they've been really professional and, and you know, a few – a few flare-ups. Uh, I think this is the month, though, this past week, um, where you start to get concerned. I mean, it really kind of blew up in the past week. And I think there have been a couple games that you could say the equity, um, the the if you, if you wanted to look at it from the outside and say you're going to lose like four offensive linemen due to corona contact or whether they actually have it, that's real messy. But they're doing the best job they can. And football, by its nature, um, has really lucked out by being a week-to-week sport because this is the you know multiple weeks in a row you have a quarterback landing on the list on a Monday and if they're clear by Saturday they play and and you know these guys are I think missing practice time matters it really does in ways that I just think that we don't know because we're not there every day especially for younger players and reps but um, there I think teams just like this is a weird year it's totally messed up we're going to do the best we can and the best teams have been the ones that have been resilient and not. Um, I think, you know, focused on the negative, just said it's a week to week confrontation. You do you go in with the guys you have and, uh, you know, no game skipped yet. I think that there's still an option that could happen, though. Yeah, of course, the owners approved the uh, expanded 16 team playoff today. If in if we do lose games because of the coronavirus, you know, and you're right, Mark, I think sometimes you're OK, ro- you know, rolling into these situations with limited practice. You know, certain teams are going to be able to handle that well. And then sometimes you're the San Francisco 49ers against the Green Bay Packers or your Matthew Stafford, you know, uh, playing with no practice and looking real erratic. So I think 
this season in particular, every season's a war of attrition, right? But this one is going to be a war of attrition in a totally different way that teams aren't prepared for. So we're going to see that discipline come through. And I think it's going to be the discipline that comes from the top down, from the ownership down to the GM, down to the coaches, down to the players. Yeah, and I that you're right. That Packers Niners game was the one that I think I just I watched and thought to myself, well, you're you're taking a a promising Niners team out of the mix. And and they and, you know, that was not all corona related. I mean, their injury list oh my it's, gosh. it's seismic. I mean, it's crazy and you're not there's not that many teams dealing with with that. And um there's only so much that Kyle Shanahan, I love Kyle Shanahan, but there's only so much you can ask a coaching staff to do. I mean, I look at the Miami Dolphins who pulled off an incredible victory last week, but quietly had five coaches not available for the game because of uh, because of Corona. So it's all it's all over the place. And if there's an asterisk on the year, I mean, the asterisk applies to all 32 teams um, to some degree. And so, you know, I, I still see it as a as a genuine, true regular season um, and hopefully a real playoff campaign. But a couple teams have legit um, beefs, I think, with what they've experienced. I just think you won't hear about it now. There'll be books and pamphlets and tweets written about it down the road for sure. Can't wait to read those pamphlets, Eddie. Yeah. I will <laughs> say that I do miss from week one what a what a different time it was. Andy Reid, that face visor fogging <laughs> up, literally can't see the field. It was I a great that back. Yeah, we need that back in our lives. There was a great Kevin Clark tweet, I think it was, that said, Imagine how the Chiefs would be playing if Andy Reid had seen the field at any point tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Total guinea game. pig scenario. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah. Poor Andy Reid got tossed right into the, you know, into the wolves' den here. Uh, with the with the face coverings, and uh, since then we've adapted pretty well. I feel like it's been it's been fun seeing how all the coaches have have treated the mask and yes. how, how they've worn them. I know Belichick, like the first few weeks, was out there looking like a bird, like the yes. way he had his, his he had uh, the the plague mask, right? <laughs> the big long plague mask with the beak. Looking kind of scary. He did. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of these coaches are pretty dumb. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll they'll take down the mask to yell stuff. Right in their in, player's in the, face. <laughs> it does. COVID cannot spread if you're yelling at an official for something. That's so not, true. It's on that's, record. Yeah. That's and you're in games. True. Yeah. Yes. games. It's not, yeah. it's not supposed it to It is. It is kind of interesting, right? Because they've all been tested. Everyone gets tested before the games. Players are out there like sitting on top of each other, like breathing in each other's faces. And yet the coaches are getting fined like half a million dollars for taking their mask down to take a swig of Gatorade. Like it's been it's a little bit like safety theater, but yeah. it's one of those things where we have to be overly cautious because you're right, Mark. We have seen it this week. We're getting those sort of like Raiders and Titans type lapses where teams are getting hit you're starting to see it pop up on twitter like boom 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 right in a row like four tweets right when you wake up of you know these 18 players have tested positive for covid you know ben roethlisberger baker mayfield hit the list i think these were all close contact situations but did mark uh did you say that you started playing fantasy again this year i did i did yeah and you uh, took a little bit of a break well i took a like a eight year break. So I don't know if that's, I don't know what I would call that. Um, but I came back yeah. into the, into the fold and, um, teams sitting in first place tied for first place Ooh, nice. um, it's, it's with other people from work. So, you know, you have to, um, you know, you're right when you wake up every morning and there's news about Corona and news about everything else. Like I, I, it, it adds an element of, um, I guess it's fun, but it feels to me like pressure. I got to get on that waiver wire and start looking for uh, replacements and things of such nature. But, um, 
you know, it, you, it's, I, I like to think of myself as a survivor during the fantasy season, constantly churning the roster. That's right. Um, lots of transactions. I like to have a completely different team if I can by midseason. And, um, you know, some of that's been forced on me because of injuries. Uh, not a new story for anyone playing fantasy. Yeah, that could be a great subtitle just for 2020 in general. I guess it's fun. Like takeout for every meal, Netflix every day. Like, yeah, it's it's stressful. Like I, I'm in 12 leagues, Mark, and so oh, yeah, my He's Sunday insane. mornings are very stressful. Checking, you know, going through the lineups and seeing who's inactive, you know, last minute, all that stuff. It's uh, and these are leagues like where we're starting like 20 plus players. Yes, it's not like wow. eight players, you know, and a defense yeah. and a kicker. It's full like 22, 23 man roster. Yeah, it's real. Well, dumb. I have nothing real to complain. I mean, I let's sound. I sound like uh, you know, a, a total softy complaining about my one team where I had to figure out what to do with one guy on a buy. It's like you know, please. Yeah, it's, it's the one team that's in first place, though. So that's did true. you, Mark, did you hit him with like the Jordan, like I'm back letter when you announced like, hey, I'm, I'm getting back in the fold here, guys? No, I think this is, you know, I, I know these guys well. That It's mostly people that that you would know that we work with. Um, I think that they were completely unimpressed with the fact that I jumped out of fantasy for seven or eight years. Um, and, you know, my my return was met with mostly um, ambivalence. Um, but that's why I'm determined to, to, to not, you know, I just don't want to. I didn't want to do it and then jump in and be like one and eight. So it's like, you know, you just gotta, you gotta be a, you gotta be a horse in the race for the playoff thing. And I do think that there is an element of chaos. I find it funny that like, you know, the off season for anyone covering football, it's like, it's this static nature where you just have to, you have no new information until like free agency hits and stuff, but so much attention put on the draft. And within three weeks, like the dra most people's drafts look like utter chaos with injuries and other stuff happening. I'm much more interested in like how to you know rebuild your team two or three times in one season because it, the people not doing that seem to be the ones left dead by the side of the road. Yeah, there's a great saying in fantasy football: you don't win your league at the draft. Uh, you set the foundation, and especially that this year, that foundation a little more porous than usual, Addy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely the weirdest year it's a good one to hop back in i was gonna though. say you picked a hell of a year to jump back in did you <laughs> jump back in snapshot yeah when corona had already happened or did you go in knowing that it was going to be a corona year no i knew because i mean that was you know i didn't decide till like august to do it okay. um i i just found it fun you know your show and a few other shows i think that fantasy analysis um has become so strong and, you know, I, we've, we've got like our Evan Silva's and stuff like that, that I spent a lot of August, um, you know, when there was no preseason, which was honestly really helpful to kind of read up and study um, on the season itself. I mean, preseason gives you other knowledge. So I guess why I know why you'd want that, but I find it time consumingly tedious and bad football also. So I really plugged in on like a lot of different fantasy stuff for the first time ever and was really pleasantly surprised with like the knowledge, the super amount of passion, um, like it's it's just a different a little bit of a different world than like straight news analysis. So uh, to, I, I I will continue to play because it keeps me engaged. I mean it's fun and I don't I don't know why I jumped out other than that I had a little bit too much of football in my life with you know small kids at home and other stuff. Um, which none of that's changed. So it's just that I'm home so often. Yes, I have time to check my fantasy lineup. Yeah, settings aren't necessarily ideal from a fantasy perspective, from a, but from a playing fantasy perspective, this has actually been a pretty good year, unless you're like Addy and you just go wild getting into, you know, 
a half a dozen or a dozen different leagues. Um, and then, you know, you're just kind of setting a lineup in half of them by the time you get to week eight, just praying for the, you know, fantasy season to be over. Yeah. We're just focused on uh, the big money ones now. That's, that's all, right. That's all we care about. That's right. I like get that. that. Get those big money leagues. So, Mark, it is wonderful to have you back on the show. We're really excited. Like I said, you bring uh, a really fun kind of zany energy to the Around the NFL podcast, which every one of our listeners should check out. It's the absolute best fantasy or uh, football recap show that's out there. You guys have the flagship every Sunday where you recap all the games and then you all preview the games. I mean, every game gets talked about. All the storylines are covered. It's a great pod. I and love the little clip ends of like the broadcast. Yes. And stuff. Yes. I think Ricky Hollywood clips those for you guys, right? Yeah. She, um, she does a great job. I mean, producing today is social media. It's, uh, it's basically, you know, four or five different jobs in one that didn't even exist, you know, I think 10 years ago. So she was the perfect person to do that, but she's also uh, a complete asset and part of our team on air too. So, uh, we, We've lucked out with with her, and at some point, I think she'll probably move on to something much bigger than than what we're what we have her attached to right now. Yeah, working with uh, handsome Hank over in the uh, head of international or something like yeah. that. Get one of those uh, third story uh, corner offices. So, yes. uh, but yeah, so on the Around the NFL podcast, you all talk about you know you have these segments where you make predictions or talk about storylines, stuff that you guys are excited about. And so that's what we want to kick things off with, Mark. We want to hear from you. You know, the NFL Hydra, it seems, sprouts a new head every few days that we have to talk about ad nauseum. And so as we go, you know, we're past the halfway point of the season now, which is crazy. There's a lot of storylines that have kind of fallen by the wayside because of our short attention span as an American public. And so I want to talk to you about some under-the-radar storylines that you think not enough people are talking about. So let's kick it off with the first storyline that you think deserves a little more attention. Well, I, th I think, it, you know, we are in 2020, and it's... um. It's not like there are these, uh, you know, earth-shattering developments out there that no one knows about. So I think that when I hear under the radar, what I think that's where, what are we going to, what is everyone going to be talking about like six weeks from now? And for me, I think that, you know, guys like you're plugged in day by day on fantasy, It like something like the Miami Dolphins would not be a surprise to you because you're tracking them weekly. But I think that if you look at the trajectory of this team, they really remind me of uh, now Brian Flores. Uh, I think he's one of the Belichick acolytes who can coach with a Belichickian feel. Um, this reminds me of that 2001 Patriots team, and we had to redo our our midseason predictions and you know rankings and Super Bowl picks. And I did not do this just to be flashy. I put the Dolphins in the Super Bowl, and I know that sounds crazy. Um, Here's why I really think it can happen. I think the Tua thing is working. Uh, he is a, 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 he is someone that I think can change that franchise forever. But Brian Flores reminds me so much of Bill Belichick in the sense that all three phases of that team contribute weekly. And there aren't that many teams out there that can take a, a, a gaggle of no-namers and have them become something really special over the course of a couple months. Uh, I'm thinking of someone like Emmanuel Ogba, who has blown up in the past couple of weeks in Miami. If every week it's someone new, I mean, they're banged up. Uh, you know, their backfield's really banged up. That's something that needs a little bit of attention. But they're not a star-studded team like the Chiefs, uh, like the Steelers, like the Ravens. So it, it's it's a long way to go. But if you go back and look at the 2001 Patriots teams, 
there were there were other opponents and enemies in the mix that you would have said no way would they have gotten past that. They were four and four at the midpoint. They were completely unremarkable. They made a quarterback switch that people, you know, away from Drew Bledsoe, which now everyone says, of course, but back then that was huge. I mean, that was like a huge, you know, changing of the guard in the NFL. And I think that Brian Flores coaches with total conviction and confidence. So, you know, look, I think a lot of people get that the Dolphins are on the rise to some degree. I think that the underrated part of it is that it might happen a lot quicker than people realize. Chris Greer, Chris Greer, the GM, has stockpiled picks for 2021 and 2022. But I think that 2020 might put them in the AFC t- title game. And then, you know, look at the Jaguars almost went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. You get into the playoffs, literally anything can happen. Corona adds a total X factor if they're lucky on that front with injuries too. I really think that we just have no idea what the ceiling is with Brian Flores as coach. Yeah, it's it's a great point. The Jags almost made the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles. Right. Like we forget about that, and we have to, you know, is even though Tua has only had his second start, um, you know, this is a quarterback that has flashed some serious potential thus far. You're right. This is kind of a defense of no names. I mean, you got Andrew Van Ginkle out there making plays, having the wild blonde hair. It's amazing. I'm convinced to watch. he was created somewhere else, and and they thought the only real tell is the name. We're going to give him a name that looks like a toy soldier from the 1600s, and let's see who catches on to that. Um, but he's been great. Yeah, Van. G- it's like one of Santa's elves, right? Like you could see it if they make a sequel to Elf. Like there's a Van Ginkle over in the corner. Absolutely. So we know. We know Mark's opinion there on the Dolphins. He's in on them. They're for real. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, we're going to have the next segment. Yeah. We'll talk more about the Dolphins here in just a bit. But I'm with you, Mark. This was, um, I think, in our wild predictions episode. Last time you were on, I said the Dolphins were going to win the AFC East. And that was just pulling something completely out of thin air. I was not a fan of the Tua move because it felt like um, it felt wrong to bench, bench Fitzpatrick. Uh, when he was playing pretty well, you know, it seemed like he was kind of streaky, but for the most part made the team fun, made him competitive. But I did acknowledge at that point, I was like, there's a chance and we can't ignore this, that the coaches think Tua is better. This is not just about evaluating for 2021 Addy, but also what if he just gives him a better chance to maybe win this division, make the playoffs. Hey, Tua and O. Tua and O. See, that's that's the stuff you get being in the same room we, right we were there, in Mark. On Tua, for the record. I mean, Mark oh, yeah. and I were, and Josh kind of had his his reservations, but I've I've been impressed with him. I mean, especially to overcome a, a hip injury like that. And I'm sure the mental hurdle you have to have to convince yourself, hey, I'm ready to see live snaps. I didn't have a preseason. And I mean, he's like you mentioned though, Mark. I mean, the whole team as a whole, they're performing well and that's kind of been coached so well i was gonna say it's kind of been the story there with flores i didn't like fitzpatrick doing that whole uh they said he broke his heart so i mean what's up with that i didn't like you didn't see it coming dude you're like 38 and they brought two they drafted Tua like fifth or sixth he's been cleared for like a month like months you didn't didn't see this coming i think when he had the chest hair out and the magnificent shirt there on (laughs) thursday night football he was just swagging hard he was like this is my team I'm going to they're going to ride with me until I get hurt or something happens. But, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, the two thing and Mark to to, you know, the the maybe the debut right wasn't the best. The defense really carried to in that first game. But to out duel Kyler Murray and uh, a Cardinals team that has been on the rise this season, that was and just a huge win and a confidence boost for the Dolphins. Another thing that I, I think we we see this, um, but the speed that this might happen. I remember when I was young and 
as a Browns fan, a, a like a, a Sports Illustrated season preview arrived on my door with it, with Bernie Kosar on the cover. It said the last great quarterback. Um, and I thought, wow, A, that's my quarterback, so I'm excited to hear that. But they were kind of comparing him to Johnny Unitas. Um, but then that game, Tua and Kyler, I just think that we are looking at the end of the statuesque, um, immobile, one-dimensional, unathletic quarterback. You know, the the six-foot-five guy that has a great arm but can't do anything else. I just the, the, the ratio of those dudes is going to shrink to four or five over the next couple of years. Some of them will be too hard to pass up on. But the NFL is changing so quickly that it's not, you know, two decades from now that it's going to look different. I think within four or five years, you're going to have like the Kylers and the Tuas, Deshaun's, um, Josh Allen in his own right. These guys that can just dominate athletically. And it's like whoever's not paying attention to that and finding that quarterback in the next couple of years will be left heavily by the side of the road like so many Chicago Bears. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh to quote your the quote you mark and i'll uh, you know it's a stone age pony and i love this i just googled mark sessler stone pony i wanted to make sure that was the right phrase you from october 17th 2019 which somehow still applies because joe flacco is still in our lives joe flacco nothing more than a stone age pony prancing about mesozoic deathscapes so you're right i think this is going to be the end of the Stone Age pony, I think of Connor Peyton Manning, right? Like Philip Rivers trying to make that oh tackle this God. weekend. I hate to, right. with it, yeah. Tom Brady with yeah. the zombie arms coming up off the ground with him laying on his back. Yeah, I think we're seeing the end of this kind of statue, concrete shoes in the pocket, can't move, can't escape, can't extend the play. That is just where the NFL is going. Chris Wessling on the Around the NFL podcast talks all the time about the evolution of the game and especially the evolution of the quarterback position. And we are seeing it now with a lot of these elder statement, elder statesmen like, you know, uh, like a breeze, like a Tom Brady, like a Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger from a different era are giving way to the Mahomes and the Russell Wilsons and the Kylers and the Tua's that can escape the pocket and make things happen. It's a very exciting time to be a fan of the NFL. You, you always wonder, are we in good hands with this next generation of quarterbacks? I think the answer is a resounding yes. Very good hands. Very good hands. So, Mark, any other storylines that are under the radar, in your opinion, that we should be paying more attention to? I, I think the the eight playoff thing, the eight the eight team playoff thing in each conference um, is yes, it's Corona related. I mean, it's a nice idea and a stopgap for this season, but I think it's something that they that they would want to continue um, forever um, and continue to grow the playoffs. I mean, we we already know about the idea of seventeen regular season games, but if this happens, uh, and I think that there will be, you know, because they've already approved it, I think they're basically saying, like, instead of having to keep pushing the envelope with some of these teams, forcing them into action, um, if we have this plan, and if this happens, and if eight teams creates, you know, you don't have this number one buy where the where that one team alone gets the bye week at this point, um, I, I think you're never, it may never go away right? because it means just, it means more money. Uh, and it, and yet, the purists, um, and I, I be, I put myself in this category where I don't want, uh, it, I didn't really want seven playoff teams from each conference because I think we're already going to de- get dangerously close to, you know, junk appearing in January, and we're already tired of the those teams haven't deserved it in my in many cases. Maybe a year or two where they do, and you'd be like, cool, we added this one team that was a ton of fun. I mean, maybe we're talking about the Dolphins this year. I don't know, but uh, eight teams feels really, really, really a bit rich to me, um, but. Wherever money is to be made, I would consider that part of the future, not a stopgap. Yeah, it's it's follow the money. 
Dan likes to say money makes the world go round, and it's true. With these NFL owners, there's a tricky balance between watering down the product, right, the NFL playoffs, and making money. But most of the time, they are going to lean toward that making money side of the equation because each of these games is such a valuable product from a ticket sales perspective and a non-corona year, from the TV rights, all the money that's to be made there. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. When I saw this, I was like, oh, they are backdoor beta testing this idea Bingo. in a corona year. Uh, and with the intention of adding that eighth team to the playoff in the future. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm I'm with you when I heard that we were adding another team to the playoff. I kind of rolled my eyes. It was annoying, right? We had this perfect setup, you know, with the two teams getting the bye in each conference. But I think over time, what I've learned is that we'll get used to anything, right? Like, um, four or five years from now, we'll look back and say, I can't believe there were ever just 12 teams in the playoffs. Now there's 16. <laughs> it is a little rich for me. I don't want to go there. I think we will have more junk than we will have legitimate teams in the playoffs, but the owners are going to get what they want. Yeah. And I think the other fix there, and it's not going to happen this time around. And when we talked about this on our show today, we didn't have the full story, but, um, the, the ranking, seeds by winning percentage. So you don't have the Eagles hosting this year's Eagles hosting a playoff game. Now that it will apply to this season, but I think down the road that they will fix that too. I think we can all get behind that, that the, that a frisky, you know, second place team in an awesome division um, supersedes a crappy division winner that gets a home game when it really will matter when there are huge crowds. I mean, if Philly were able to fill that stadium with crowds, you're looking at beast quake too, because I could really see the Eagles beating the Eagles could beat anyone in a weird playoff game. Right. I mean, so it just seems unfair that they would, that a, like what probably will be like a six, nine and one team would host a playoff game. To me, that feels like a, a, a total gaff on the, on the league's part that I think they'll correct. Yeah. I was going more like a four and 11 and one <laughs> Eagles yeah. team. Yeah. Well, I'm being very but, optimistic. Yes, you are. And I love that. And you're right. I think we have to get rid of these, home games locked in because of the you know top four seeds, the division winners or whatever, throw that out. If we're expanding because we want more teams in, use logic and make the system better. Reward the teams that are good. The Cardinals, if they come in second place in that NFC West, should not be traveling to Philadelphia to play in the first round of the playoffs. That's not fair, especially if they finish, you know, whatever, nine and six or uh, nine and seven, 10 and six. They should be the one hosting the playoff game. So you're right, Mark. Let's get that fixed. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be very curious now to see, and Mark, I'd love your take on this, if the NFL has been so rigid in the Super Bowl is going to be played on the first Sunday in February. We are not going to move the draft. We are not going to move free agency. We are not going to lose games. Do you think they loosen up the reins a little bit so they can try out this idea this year? Well, I think that the one thing they've said is, you know, they don't want to be flexible just for the sake of being flexible. They want to move things just because of concerns. Um, if concerns became genuine real-time issues that they had to deal with, canceled games, yes, I think they would they would move all that. Now, I mean, the Super Bowl is a lot harder to move on a year when, you know, 80,000 people have booked hotels and you know, purchase game tickets and another 4 billion media and staff members and, you know, talking heads are all meant to go and plane tickets have been purchased. It's a lot easier to move some of that stuff this year. So 
like with other sports, um, have had to do. The NFL probably is not immune to that. If they if they had to change, I think they've said all along, safety first. Uh, you know, we want to keep everything in place, but if they have to, I think they will. I think it's just it is at the. It's very clear that it is a last resort. I mean, in last resort, meaning like things would need to melt hard. Yeah, hopefully we don't reach that point. Lord, just just let us finish out this season the way it's been going. Things have been going pretty well so far. Don't take football from us. Please don't do that. But Mark, you mentioned junk seeping into the playoffs, potentially, if we go to eight teams per conference. And that's what we want to talk about next. We want to talk about, we're past the halfway point. We want to start to figure out some of these teams that are a little bit on the borderline. Are they for real? Or are they frauds? So we sent you a six-pack of teams, all with winning records right now, and we asked you to rate them on a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being Super Bowl contenders, heck, maybe even Super Bowl favorites, and 0 being they flame out and miss the playoffs or their stadium is swallowed up by a sinkhole and some natural disaster you know, ends their season prematurely. So we are going to kick things off. It is no surprise if anyone has listened to your show or follows you on social media. They know you are a Cleveland Browns fan. The Browns sit at five and three. So, Mr. Sessler, zero to ten, how are you feeling about your Browns right now? All right. Well, I don't have any tens to begin with in this thing because I think that we're looking at teams that have, you know, strengths and weaknesses. The Browns get a six from me. I'll, I'll tell you real quick why I think that they get to six versus something lower. They've won games without Nick Chubb. Uh, they've won games without Austin Hooper. They've won games without Wyatt Teller, who was a you know the top-ranked interior lineman in the league, and their run game really misses him. Uh, they've been resilient on that front. They don't go higher than a six because, you know as we know, when they've had to go wage war with the Ravens and the Steelers, they've been horrendously waxed. Um, I thought that they were out-muscled by the Raiders in bad Cleveland weather at home. That was not a great sign to me. So I think that they're a team that has made great progress. Um, I think they're well coached. They've got a good front office that's a modern front office. Uh, so it's more like for me, the Browns are a, you know, a two or three or four year arc. What can they become? They're only halfway there right now. And I think that they're like other teams learning to win. So a six doesn't feel like I'm ripping them off, but I would, I could see them sneaking into the playoffs and losing if they even get there. I could also see them not getting there, but being a nine and seven team. Yeah, I think that's about where I would have them. Addy, where are you coming in on this range? Oh, yeah, loving them now. They got uh, oh, Odell out of the way, the <laughs> yeah. locker room cancer. Yeah, Adam's yeah. been big on this kick about people saying that the team is better off without Odell Beckham. Um, I will say no. this, Mark. I want to get, yeah, it is not. Um, I want to get your take. Is Miles Garrett the best defensive player in the NFL? Well, I think that, you know, that's just looked at by numbers and stuff. Um, I think Miles Garrett, well, I mean, Aaron Donald is still the number one defensive player to me because you can point to anything Miles Garrett has done and you can say that, you know, Donald had a game where he had four sacks and he completely destroyed Washington. So I, I think that they're both completely disruptive. Miles Garrett um, is a defensive player of the year candidate, though, because they've won a bunch of close games. And I think they'd be, they probably have two or three wins without him because he's had, key uh, turnovers in close games that set up scores. And, and that's what you want from your best defensive player. So when he's on the field, he's a total menace. He missed a bunch of that Raiders game. And it reminded me of when he, you know, post-helmet incident a year ago, when he wasn't on that field, a bad defense and Cleveland's defense is pretty bad. I mean, became a complete and total raging liability. So Garrett um, changes everything when he's in there. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's so good to have him back, to have his head screwed back on straight. And I, th- I do think that the helmet incident was very isolated. I always, it was that was such a surreal night. I'm sure it was for you, especially as a Browns fan. Uh, in our main fantasy league, the front running team had just traded a first round pick to get Miles Garrett, oh, <laughs> and yeah. he goes and tries to cave another man's skull in, like you know, uh, uh, three quarters of a game into his run with this team. So. I, I look back somewhat fondly because that's the villain of our league, but it's good to have Miles Garrett back. All that said, uh, Connor, where are you coming down on the Browns? Zero to ten. Where do they fall for you? I think Mark's definitely in the ballpark there on the sixth range. Of course, they handed our, our Colts a, a loss. And, and they did. I, I think losing Odell, even though Markham kind of tongue-in-cheek there hit on, you know, oh, yeah, they're better somehow without – we're, we're better without our better players, I guess. So I don't know. I'd have to do some. Anytime some, you can lose a superstar player, yeah. it's going to be a boost yeah, for your team. For sure. That's just logic. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how it works. Yeah. It's the extra playoff team will help. I mean, I, I think they will be, you know, looking at these teams that can actually hang on in the AFC. You know, I, I, I would think they're one that will at least hang around for a wild card spot. I agree. I think uh, six is right there where they should be. Is Odell a Cleveland Brown next year, Mark? Well, I think that, you know, the past regime traded for him. And and that was a John Dorsey type move where it was, you know, we want to pick up veterans and star players through free agency and through trades. This front office is not really one that operates that way. Um, I think that they they would like to build through the draft. And uh, Odell Beckham, you, the sample size isn't huge, but it hasn't been a great fit in Cleveland. And if they can, if they, depending, you know, it depends on what they can maneuver and what they can do in terms of getting young wide receivers. They need help. I think the reason that they're not a better team without him is that they just aren't very deep at that position. And you're now your best cornerbacks on Jarvis Landry, and your second best is on, you know, Hollywood Higgins. So it's like I, I, I think that's just a lesser situation. I, I, I would go sixty forty that he is not on the Browns, but I. Don't think that's because he's a problem or um, anything to do with that. I think it just may be that this front office sees team building a little bit differently. I don't think they can get much for him either. I really don't. So it they may stay if the value isn't enough. Yeah, I think if he hadn't gotten hurt, maybe a team comes and offers a second round pick and maybe a future first or, you know, they could get a pretty nice haul for him, I think, even with the issues they had. But coming off the ACL, that changes the equation for me. I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't on the Browns, but I think because they're not going to be able to get anything for him coming off, you know, knee surgery, I think he's there next year. Yeah. I think he could I think he could still fetch a second in the right situation. Um just because he's going to bring a lot of fanfare too. I know he brings a lot of drama at times. That's true. But uh I mean he's uh you know, he's a splash move that the fans would love to see. Um What did yeah. Nuke bring a second in a player? He brought uh, not enough, not, yeah, enough. not, not nearly enough, enough. Obviously, David yeah. Johnson in a second round pick, yeah. I think, Mark. For for New Hopkins, for New Hopkins, yeah. Well, I mean that, but I would never. Lo- I think that the thirty one other teams looked at that trade and thought that the the Texans were crazy. I don't. I don't think that will ever be the baseline. Um, they should have gotten more for for Hopkins, and uh, but 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 I don't think Odell would get much more than that. And I think that you know, I to your point that someone would want him. There's got to be coaches that think, well, that's Cleveland's fault that it didn't work out for Odell. We can make it work here. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, move on to this next team here. Connor's rocking the uh, the the pullover here for this. Our beloved Indianapolis Colts uh, coming off a tough loss to the Baltimore Ravens, sitting at five and three. 
So, Mark, give us your take. Zero to ten, how are you seeing the Indianapolis Colts? I don't think they're far from the Browns. I gave them a 5.4. Here's the thing. I love their defense. I don't see a a defense in the league that tackles better um, in open field scenarios. They've got great team speed. Um, they're, They're so deep up front that if they had an offense that could complement their defense, they'd be much higher for me. I just don't trust their offense. I think that, um, you know, Chris Wesley said it really well on our show on Sunday that these young pieces that you had a lot of hope around um, haven't really done their job. And there's a lot more reliance on Phillip Rivers than you hoped. I thought, I think Jonathan Taylor had become like this um, fascinating young runner that was destroying teams week after week behind that line. Uh, they'd be in the eight territory for me. They're just not that type of team. And I, I don't trust teams that, you know, at this time of year, haven't, haven't clicked on offense. Yeah. It seems like there are three key things that I think are holding back the Colts offense right now. Number one, losing Paris Campbell. You saw it week one, that game Paris Campbell was electric. I believe he'd be this team's number one wide receiver. If he had not gotten hurt, Jonathan Taylor, not being the running back that we thought he was going to be behind one of the league's best offensive lines and Phillip Rivers continued streakiness with even more diminished skills, especially that arm talent that we love to talk about. Um, He still thinks he can make all the throws, but he can't. And so there are going to be some games, right? Like the two before the Baltimore Ravens game where you saw Rivers was playing very, very well. We got those wins, but it really does for me. It's hard to assign a score, Connor, because it feels like well, which version of Philip Rivers are we going to get rest of season? And you can say that, in my opinion, about a few different aspects. And I'm a huge Frank Reich fan. I, I think his, you know, kind of creative play calling is is something to be uh, is something that a lot of teams desire to have. But I feel like there are times that either Frank can't quite figure out the hand he's playing with, or he's trying to get out at you know, kind of getting just pretzeling himself almost on, on play calling. Getting so a little too cute. We said earlier this season. Yep, yeah. Well and said. and mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the Philip rivers thing, and this is kind of a synopsis for a lot of teams. The, and Mark alluded to this earlier is the, the teams that didn't have continuity of their roster and their coaching that, that missed that preseason and missed that time. I think you're seeing that at those key positions. So, you know, a guy like rivers who, like you said, his arm is, I don't think it's it's Manning his final year in Denver shot. Not I that mean, bad. He already gets the ugliest throwing, uh, you know, a motion award of all time. But it's he is putting literally every ounce he has in every, every throw. So a lot of screens. Offense is limited, as Mark alluded to as well. So I, they're they're in the Browns territory for me as well. I hope that they're contending uh, for a spot, but. You know, if Mark's prediction earlier is correct about the Dolphins, I would honestly probably think it will be unless they somehow sneak up and and take the East from the Bills. I mean, it's hard to say. So I think you're looking at two teams from the East. I think you could be looking at two teams from the South. Um, the AFC North. You have AFC the Steelers North. and the Ravens. That's I right. mean, it's you know Browns it seems more and more slim the more you talk about it. But yeah. again, if if there were two teams from this list, I would probably hedge a little more. Towards the Browns, just I like what they have better there with with Baker and just the overall team, even though they're missing Odell. And even though Baker's up and down, I feel like the ceiling is higher than what you're getting from, you know, uh, almost 40-year-old Philip Rivers at this point. Uh, yeah, I agree, Mark. I think they're right around that six mark for me. I think they could win a playoff game if they make it in, but I've said all along the ceiling for this team is uh, one playoff win and an exit from there. So um, another team that was in action and picked up a very nice, very much needed win 
to stay ahead of these frisky Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills sitting at 7-2. and two. I have a feeling, Mark, this may be one of the highest scoring teams for you. Yeah, it is, because I think that was a signature win, and I really believe in the coach uh, front office combination here. They've improved every year. They identify their needs in the offseason. They make good free agent acquisitions. Uh, the Stefan Diggs trade. Now, we never knew where we'd be in November with Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. I think the variance there was wide, and it's going it's going well. They had it, they they aren't slump proof, I and mean, we've seen that. Like there were real questions about that Patriots game. Uh, you know, the week before they didn't blow up the, they've they've had their struggles, but their defense isn't the same. They're just a bit of a different Bills team than you're used to, but the Seattle game to me was, I think, first of all, Patriots was like, they're a psychological ghost dealing with New England if you're Buffalo. And every every team that's trying to emerge has that like that one uh, you know enemy to slay before you really can kind of step into your own. And I think the celebration was the Seahawks game. I mean, you're playing a bad defense, and th- that's fine. But they also uh, laid total waste to the bad Seahawks defense. So I think that they're a team that could probably beat anyone in the right week, and then they could really disappoint you another. And I buried the lead because I gave them an eight. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I thought you were going to come down with them. It makes a lot of sense because we saw beginning of the season when Josh Allen was getting MVP buzz. This is a player that absolutely has taken a step forward, but he is not, you know, unlike Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes, who are never going to have that kind of just crap the bed game where they totally let the team down. Josh Allen isn't quite to that point yet. His ceiling has raised, his floor has raised, but there's still a wide gap there between those two. So I agree. I think an eight. And to touch on the Stephon Diggs thing, this is one of the most interesting points of this season. Addy, as our Vikings fan, you would have been lying if you would have said the Bills and Stephon Diggs are happy and the Minnesota Vikings are happy with a player that they drafted with that Diggs pick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're happy long term. I mean, you know, one of these teams is seven and two, the other's three and five. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Justin Jefferson, though, you don't one like of that. yeah, one of the bright spots. Not great, but yeah, I mean, long term, this is a no brainer for for uh for really both sides. Uh I do wonder if the Bills have any I mean, I know Diggs is balling right now, but seeing like how great this class would have been, I don't know if you know they would have, you know, selected Jefferson there as well, but Man, these some of these receivers in, in this this class are really special, I think. They really are. You look at, you know, T. Higgins and Justin Jefferson and CD Lamb Judy. and Jerry Judy. I mean, Brandon Ayuk out there and San Francisco. Visca. Visca Chenault, uh, with our boy <laughs> Juke Luton down in uh Jacksonville <laughs> doing big things. Um, but yeah, so I think the Bills were looking at this as a win now situation and they didn't want that learning curve with a Justin Jefferson type receiver. So they thought, let's go get Diggs. Hopefully he's not, you know, tweeting cryptic emojis by like, you know, mid October, early November. And thus far it's worked out well. So the wide receiver four in fantasy PPR leagues. That's right. I think he's leading the league in targets right now. Yeah, so it's, crazy. It's, it's worked out really well. Um, I agree. The bills are my pick to um, be the highest you know, ceiling on this list of uh, of teams here. I think they have the best shot of these six to win the Super Bowl. So uh, let's switch to the NFC now. We mentioned this team a little earlier. Lost to the Dolphins this past week. The five and three Arizona Cardinals. I guess it's tough, Mark, because this is a team we saw flashes of potential last season. We were kind of waiting. 
uh, for that other shoe to drop. Is this team for real? Is the defense good enough? Is Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, are they a legit duo that can make magic happen in 2020? And thus far, looking pretty good. What's your score for these guys? Yeah, I gave them a, I gave them a seven and a strong seven. I think that could rise too because this is one of these teams and you get these every year that start to uh, spin a little bit of chaos and magic down the stretch. And I feel like they could, they're another team that in an NFC crop of playoff teams where, you know, I'm just not overly impressed with what's in the NFC. I don't feel like that there's two unbeatable teams. There's, there's some back and forth, butt kickings going on. I mean, the bucks were, you know, revealed to be less than perfect a week ago. Um, Green Bay got stomped by Tampa Bay. So the Cardinals are a different type of offense that, I think that, you know, who can stop Kyler Murray? It's been really hard for teams to figure out that at all. So that's the kind of thing that might take an extra offseason for teams to figure out. Um, he's pretty unstoppable. I think that the DeAndre Hopkins deal had worked for them. There were questions if suddenly, you know, Hopkins would disappear in, a, in an offense with four or five wide receivers on the field at all times. Not the case. Um, defense a little suspect, but I really feel like the Cardinals – are one of these weird teams that could beat anyone. I have no idea what their ceiling is. So I think that's spicy. Um, I don't think seven's too strong because I would give other teams in the NFC higher scores, some of those like entrenched playoff squads. Yeah, and something to, to mention here, Addy, is that it's not just the offense. That defense is starting to come to life. Losing Chandler Jones definitely hurts, but you're seeing the emergence of Hassan Reddick. We said, could this be this year's Shaq Barrett, a player that, you know, is not going to be anything right. And all of a sudden he is something and it's, it's exciting to watch and he's making plays. So red X coming on your boy, uh, traded for, for Marcus golden, Marcus golden coming into town. Buddha Baker, which we'll, we'll talk we'll, about we'll here in just there. a second. Um, and then you have Isaiah Simmons was playing like yeah. 4% of snaps got up to 52 this past game. So like watch out. Yeah. But this defense I think is starting to come to life a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was any team that I was more excited about than the uh, the Cardinals, you know, uh, in the offseason. They, um, I, I think they have the highest upside on this list. I mean, I could see them getting hot. Kyler is unbelievable. He really is. The um, most dangerous play is Kyler Murray in the open field right yes. now. Yeah. He was like Mike Vick-esque the other night. The way he was moving, I mean, it just he was gliding around the field. I mean, it was just yeah. a whole other, when he would stop and change directions. I mean, there's maybe Lamar that can do that since a guy like Vic has been in the league, but yeah. that's just different type of speed. I feel like he has an open field. Yeah. It's a good argument. Who's the better runner, Kyler or Lamar. Um, right now it's Kyler. Kyler knows how to slide. Right and, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's from baseball. I mean, yeah. he was the, you know, the baseball players. So well, do you guys think helped. seven is too, uh, too conservative? Mm, no, because I do think they are only, you know, one season removed from what did they finish last year? They were still had a losing record, Five and right? 11 maybe. Or yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I think I see them, but you're right. That NFC, who's the superpower? I, yeah, it's Seattle. And then I think Green Bay. I think, yeah, Green Bay. And then Tampa I think Bay. Uh, and Tampa Bay. And then I think Arizona's right there. Yeah, I would yeah. put them right there in the mix around that four spot. So, you know. I think anything can happen when you have a mobile quarterback. We have seen it. That is a game wrecker and, a, and an element that you can't quite plan for. And so I think he's the X factor that could, in my mind, maybe push them a little further. But I think seven's about right, Mark. 
I think you got it. So uh, let's wrap up here with, uh, well, let's jump to the Dolphins because you mentioned them in your storyline segment. So I'm curious to see now, sitting at five and three, Tua and O, as Adam brought up earlier with a beautiful pun, where are they sitting for you on that zero to 10 scale? I have them at 7.5 for all the reasons that I uh, mentioned. Um, I, I, I love teams where I can just fall in love with the head coach. And I, I think that that's happening here. Um, he maximizes all his players. Uh, you know, they aren't the most talented roster, uh, probably even compared to some of the teams on this list. But that, you know, talented roster it also depends on what you do with it. And I just, I have a lot of growing trust in Miami. And um, so 7.5 was the second highest grade that I gave. Uh, I, I am someone that also can fall hard for certain uh, developments. Um, certain coaches, certain teams. So I have to check myself at the door a little bit. I mean, maybe Miami will still be taught a few lessons um, before this journey is over. I'm not saying they're going to just rip down the stretch, but um, I think they're a playoff team. I think they're a threat to win the East. If if Buffalo goes into another slump, um, if they were to take a game from Buffalo, I'd be real concerned about Buffalo's chances to win the division. Um, I don't know if that will matter too much in how the playoffs shake out. Sometimes you kind of I would rather the Dolphins could be a, a seventh seed. I wouldn't want to play them. I'd rather play some of the some of these teams with better records. So I'm sort of future projecting what I think Miami will become versus what they are this minute. Yeah, we do know you tend to fall hard for certain coaches. I think you yeah. might have been camped outside Matt Rule's house at some point. <laughs> Matt this Rule year. can coach him up, man. I mean, like it, those he Panthers can. games. You know, they're not winning them right now, but he just reminds me the first thing I ever ever felt about. Matt Rule, and it has a little bit to do with the college lineage, um, but just sort of who he is, uh, the way he relates to players and kind of pulls certain players um, into his fold, like Robbie Anderson, who was a bit of a, you know, he had issues in New York, and Matt Rule knows Robbie Anderson, and Robbie Anderson is blowing up in Carolina because of that relationship. Uh, I think he's a little bit of a Jimmy Johnson-esque type guy, and so, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that team was going to fall off the rails this season, maybe win three games. Go watch that Chiefs game. They nearly took that thing, and it's because of the aggressive nature of Matt Rule. So I like coaches like that, and I fall for the Kyle Shanahan's, and I fall for the, the Brian Flores. It's because I think they're new, and I see a whole new wave of coaching. The idea of, like, you're just going to hire an old, uh, fat 60-year-old guy who's smoking cigars, that, that age is over. I mean, the coaches now have to relate to young players. They have to understand that meetings have to be shorter. I mean, it's like you got one or two old-school guys. But Pete Carroll's your oldest coach, but he I feel like he's younger than me half the time. So you have to be able to relate to a very interesting group of people that is your roster. And someone like Matt Rule is supreme at that. Yes, he is. I, I will say I transformed into Teddy Bridgewater's mother during that game, watching him fly <laughs> through the air on that reconstructed day. I was like, oh, no, my sweet baby, please be OK. <laughs> and he was, thank God. But I was holding my breath there along with Panthers Nation for a second. Teddy, please be safe. We love you. He's a Louisville guy. He's a Kentucky guy. We love that. And this team is frisky. I thought that might have been one of your storylines was watch out for the Panthers because we're going to be looking up, say, how how did the Panthers sneak into the playoffs, you know, at nine and seven? But that's a team to watch out for as well. And we want to wrap up here. Uh, you talked about the NFC, not super strong. What about a team in the Cardinals' own division, the 5-3 and three Los Angeles Rams? I'm really curious your take because I feel like it's been a little bit of a um, not turbulent relationship, but you've had your issues with the Rams in the past. So where are they coming in for you right now? Yeah, I give them... Um... 
I put them at six because I think they're going to make. The, I think they can make the playoffs. Uh, I think that they're well. Co- they're obviously well coached. Uh, six to me though, because you go back to the Dolphins game. I think that was a roadmap on how to completely frustrate Jared Goff, uh, how to make life real difficult for him, um, take advantage of a not perfect offensive line, and unsaddle that offense. And I think that other team Brian Flores did that as part of the Super Bowl plan against the Patriots. So it's like he, two, two, Brian Flores essentially is 2-0 and against Sean McVay, and I'd like to see how Sean McVay counters that. I think that they're, you know, that's a quarterback-coach relationship where they're like tied at the hip. You don't trust Jared Goff to go call plays the same way that Big Ben would or someone else like that. Um, I don't see a ton of growth from Jared Goff. I think he has other quarters where he looks really, really good. Um, the Rams, to me, you know, they got they got – beaten pretty severely by the Niners. The score didn't look that way, but that game was not that close. Um, the Dolphins took them pretty easily. They just, uh, they're not dominant. Uh, they're a team. They're in the mix. Six. Yeah, that's, it seems like, Addy, we're looking at potentially Jared Goff is the training wheels equivalent quarterback, right? Like, oh, look, Jared Goff's doing things. Like, yeah. he looks, it looks like he's riding the bike. But if you were to take those Sean McVay training wheels off, I think he you're picking gravel out of Jared Goff's knee pretty quickly. Sure, a lot of people have always said that he's like one of the best first-read quarterbacks in the league. You of know? course. After yeah. that, after that first read, it, it's where it, it gets the dicey. panic sets, and he's like, "Sean, help!" And it's like the helmet's cut off, right. Jared. You can't keep talking to Sean. <laughs> what I'm concerned with about the Rams, the remaining schedule, they got Seattle twice, they got Arizona twice, and they got Tampa Bay. Ooh, yeah. Oh Fair point. You may be looking at like a six and ten, seven and nine finish. I mean, those are that's a brutal stretch right that's there. That's tough. San Fran, who they've they've already lost two once, and they're always weird, you know. Always weird games. Uh, New England, always weird. I mean, that's that's the guys they have left to play. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, Cam Newton, as we saw today, tired of sucking. Uh, one of the best quotes of I think we're all tired of sucking, yeah, Cam. Yeah, you amen, speak, brother. You speak for all of us this year in 2020. So. Well, Mark, thank you for uh, hitting us on that six-pack of teams where you saw them in terms of for real or fraud. We're going to burn through a couple more segments here and get you out of here, but this is an IDP podcast. We love the defensive side of the ball, so we'd be remiss if we did not ask you, Mark, and we've each got our picks here, but as our guests, we're going to let you go first. Who has been your favorite defensive player to watch in 2020? Well, I, I'm not going to go Miles Garrett because when I watch Browns games, I don't really enjoy them. I'm just sort of stressed out. Uh, Darius Leonard, to me, in uh, part of that Colts defense, I just think that he, you know, and when they didn't have him and then they got him back, immediate impact. And he is just going to, once a game, do something that completely alters the course of a game. I don't think that they're, uh, that, you know, what they did to Baltimore in the first half last week. I know the second half, you know, they're, they, they, you, you just knew that Baltimore was going to find a way to squeak back into that thing and get a little more productive on the ground. But uh, that run defense is for real. Darius Leonard, to me, should have been, uh, as, as a rookie, uh, treated a little bit differently by some of the voters and some of the Pro Bowl business and the All-Pro stuff. Like, uh, no one no one's sleeping on him now. He's fun to watch. That whole defense is fun to watch. He's the heart and soul of it. So that's my pick. Yeah, you're speaking Connor's love language right here. That was actually his pick as well. (laughs) And, you know, had some of the same notes, like looking at that game in the first half because he he banged up his knee, and I think that kind of limited him in the second half. But watching him in that first half, Connor, I mean, it was like every the end of every single play, 
Darius Leonard had made the tackle or was standing very close by, I felt like. He was in on every play. He just lives up to that nickname, the Maniac. I mean, there's just that's yeah. one of the most perfect names, nicknames in the NFL. That guy is sideline to sideline. He's long so he can play the pass or he can play the run. And he is just violent. I mean, he is just his game is violent. He's got great coordination to make plays with the ball when he actually gets his hands on him. And he has a knack for taking the ball away. So I mean, Mark, I'm right there with you, man. That is like it. same page. Same page. Look at this. Yeah. I haven't I haven't bought a jersey in a while just because every jersey I buy, the player either gets like hurt or retired or, you know, let go of. So I I've stopped that. So I feel like I'm gonna curse myself if I get a Leonard jersey. But yeah, he's he's my guy, man. Fifteen tackles this last game, thirteen solo. Uh, and one tackle for loss. I mean, he was, you know, again, it was in a, a losing effort, but man, that guy, like you said, that's a, that's a difference maker. And he's, I think doing better with the addition of DeForest Buckner kind of clearing oh, yeah. some space for him. I mean, that was a, a given, but I think DeForest is earning that. I think 84 million or whatever Chris Ballard stroke a check for. So yeah, he's, he is. And Leonard is on the short list of guys that that crave contact, that want to just pop you in the mouth. He's very high atop that list. Great pick, Mark. Nice pick, Connor, by Thank proxy. You. Addy, you're up next. Your favorite defensive player to watch. I have a feeling I know where you're going with this one. It's my boy, Buda Baker. Yeah, so I mean, yep. pound, pound for pound, Buda, in, in my opinion, is the best defensive player in the league. 100%. Um, he's on pace to finish with... Uh, He's on pace to finish for 137 tackles, four sacks, and four interceptions, and that's with him missing a week because of the thumb injury. So this is basically the the same exact tackle rate as last year when he put up 147 tackles, and everyone said he was gonna gonna regress. Didn't do that. Um, in our RSO league, he's averaging 20 points a game. This is the best per game average among not only safeties but all IDP players. All IDPs. Yeah, 20 games. So that's like Derrick Henry, Tyreek Hill. Um, wow. That's that type of that's the type of player that he is. But yeah, Buddha Baker, all hell King Buddha. All hell King Buddha. I love it. He really is, Mark. He is pound for pound, I think is the right phrase, right? We hear this a lot in boxing, talking about smaller boxers that are just so skilled. They have so much heart. Their technique is so flawless, and they just make plays. And that's Buddha Baker to a T this season. Yeah, I think he's just, you know, he's sort of the future of what you want in your in in, in on defense. I mean, he's super versatile. Uh I love the idea that some of these guys, you know, we don't get a chance to watch every one of these teams if if you're just, you know, you got Sunday to do it, you watch it, you move on, but getting him into prime time when that when he when he had that moment chasing down DK, I mean, beautiful. I just I thought that's just like that's how stars are born in the NFL in sports in general. Those moments where everyone's watching and he's right up there um deserving of the moment. I think he makes that defense super exciting. We mentioned some of the other guys there. So, I love the pick. He was on my list. Um I I put, you know, four or five guys there and he, he was certainly one of them. Yeah. Well, I'll wrap us up here for me. I've talked about him ad nauseum. The listeners are probably tired of hearing about it, but I can't deny what my heart feels and my heart beats a little faster when I watch my baby Devin White from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Devin has been everywhere this year. He's fourth in total tackles with 82, fifth in sacks with five. All And this is for linebackers. All of the guys ahead of him on the sack list are edge rushers, the TJ Watt, Sedarius Smith types. And he is the heart 
of this very legitimate Tampa Bay defense, your colleague, Mark Greg Rosenthal, has been saying there's about three to four defenses that matter in the NFL, and I believe this is one of them. I'm not discouraged by the no-show on Sunday. Sometimes, some games, you just get your doors blown off. It happens, but I don't doubt that we're going to see this Tampa Bay team late in January, and this defense, headlined by Devin White, is going to be a big part of the reason why. I, I like him too. I think that he has, uh, like you said, every game, two or three sort of showcase moments. Uh, his speed is fun to watch. He totally shows up, explodes on tape. And uh, I think you're right. They're one of those defenses. I'm willing to give almost every one of these teams a mulligan where you have one game where, you know, if you're Seattle and Seattle's not usually prone to this, but you fly east, the classic wet team flies west coast to east and gets knocked out in western New York. That kind of stuff happens. The Bucks game, they were due for one of those. Uh, they're still a team that's learning who they are. I mean, there's a lot of new things happening for them. They've been trustworthy in other weeks, so their defense has been pretty cons- pretty amazingly consistent, top three, top four in the league. So he's been part of it. I'm with you. Absolutely. All right, let's get you out of here on this. You're back into the fantasy fold. You're loving it. You're in first place. And we are excited to talk about, this is a theme we've been hitting throughout the year, right? You have fantasy surprises and fantasy disappointments. So we're going to get you out of here on this, Mark. Your fantasy surprise and disappointment for this season has been? Well, I can wrap it up in a trade that I made where I opened up uh, my season with Lamar Jackson and Ezekiel Elliott. And look, they're fine. I think that, the, you know, I, there's real life, the real life scenarios that they're in um, creates obviously some changes and some issues. But I traded Lamar and Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I desperately needed a running back because I had Nick Chubb as a starter. I picked up someone that's not on my list here, James Conner, just because it was someone willing to make the trade. And I even added Raheem Mostert. I mean, I wanted Mostert in case he comes back because I'm thinking if I ever got him back, you know, for the playoffs in that offense, I like team players from teams and that I trust offensively. So Lamar and Ezekiel Elliott are my, to me, they were disappointments and I had to move them. But a week before I picked up Justin Herbert, who has absolutely carried my team. And he's basically done what I thought Lamar would do. And so that has been a, a wonderfully delightful surprise. One other surprise I think that um, I, that I tried to trade for this player too was James Robinson. I think he's he's just been someone that I mean it, it, you're, it part of it is you're just suddenly in the right situation. We can trust you. You're productive. Um, you're a team that's going to ha- be behind. You want to run the ball. He can do a little bit of everything. So two of my guys. That's that's some surprises and disappointments all mixed in one. All right, that's enough, Mark. You're taking all our guys. Yeah, that's, it's it's funny. We are just all on the same oh, wavelength. No. Right. I think we're we're tapped into the Pull fantasy the site, guys. Yeah. So, because I was gonna say disappointment, Lamar Jackson, surprise, Justin Herbert, surprise, James Robinson. Yeah. But mm. it's true. There are these kind of you know ubiquitous guys when you attach disappointment and surprise as the label that are going to bubble up to the top of the conversation. So Lamar was my pick. Um, He's sitting between Teddy Bridgewater and Carson Wentz right now at QB 14 in our main league. That's very disappointing for where you drafted him. And after getting a chance to watch him this Sunday, Mark, I don't know. There's something not quite right about that Baltimore offense right now. I don't know if they just really miss 
uh, Mark Ingram, if they are just lacking that true alpha number one wide receiver. I don't know what's going on there, but it's affecting Lamar Jackson this season. But my surprise has been in his same division. I'm going with Joe Burrow. Now, this is fantasy. Mm. I think Burrow has top five upside in the real NFL, but to see him as a top 12 fantasy quarterback with a bad team is very encouraging. If you take out his pummeling from Baltimore, which most QBs are going to get pummeled in that situation, he's averaging 24 and a half points. You love to see it. He's not quite been to Herbert's level of brilliance, but Burrow has been a lot of fun this season, Mark. I, I love him. And, you know, I part of me is concerned that Baker Mayfield is the fourth best quarterback in that division. And I'm not taking a shot at Baker Mayfield, but uh, I mean, it's suddenly so stacked. I, he just seems to have eyes in the back of his head. He escapes pressure really well. You know, they dealt with, I think the line is getting a little bit better, but the line was such a disaster early. And I mean, he's just tough. He, you know, when I talk about the future of quarterbacks, I would put him right in there because he, he he's able to move and create all sorts of problems with his legs too. So the, the real life will always matter more to me. And in real life, I think he'll change Cincinnati football for the next 15 years. Absolutely. He's if they dead. don't get him killed first. Exactly. It, it's they, early right. shades of like Andrew Luck behind it is. a Grigson line yeah. where you're just like, oh, he loves getting hit. Look at that. He, he laughs when they hit him. And then you're like, oh man, he's got a <laughs> lacerated kidney and he's, you know, bleeding internally and you know, it's just, it was sad, man. He's I mean, sitting my, in a dark room contemplating yeah. his existence don't and walking away from football. They've got to turn the Andrew I'm, Luck I'm Funko Pop around. He's got a, got a book club, Connor. You know you'd be in trouble if he starts the book club because he's thinking about, you know, other yep. ways to spend his time. That should have been exactly. the sign. He got a smartphone, so he was mm -hmm. looking at, you know, Twitter and stuff and starting the book club. He was planting the seeds for his post-NFL career. Uh, so, Addy, you mentioned Justin Herbert. Talk on Mr. Herbs here and then hit us with your disappointment as well. Sure. So, uh, yeah, Justin Herbert, he's PFF's 14th best graded passer. Uh, Josh, you'll be pleased to know that Joe Burrow was 13th. Very nice. Um, but it's Herbert for me because, you know, the expectations weren't there for Herbert. Like Not at all. With Burrow and Tua. Um, Herbert was going in the second round of super flex drafts, fourth rounds and one QB drafts. Uh, but this is a guy that's averaging 29 points a game right now. Only Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray and Patrick Mahomes are doing better on a per game basis. Wow. I love it. But he has wow. people keep asking, is Herbert legit for fantasy purposes? Yes, they are letting him bomb the ball down the field. Yeah. And he's not getting the wins, but that's because the Chargers are cursed. For fantasy purposes, that doesn't matter. Herbs has been falling out. That is that does concern me for Dynasty. The curse. The something's going on there. Are they? Is their stadium <laughs> on a, a practice facility on a you know you know ancient burial ground or something here, Mark? Like Cleveland's is. What what is going on with the Chargers? I mean, I can't blame the stadium at this point. It's, it's one of the most beautiful looking buildings around. Or what you know, it, it it was old LA ground before. I'm sure a lot of mobsters, um, you know, unmarked dollar bills, crime. I wouldn't, you know, count any of that out, um, old school stuff, but I don't, I wouldn't, you know, I think they're, they're, they're a team I could see had they not lost one or two of these games and had they been closer to the wild card, you know, discussion, who would want to deal with them? They're so freaky. I love that you picked Herbert and everything they just said about him too, that, you know, you thought with Anthony Lynn, oh, they're just going to want to run the ball 50 times. I think losing Austin Eckler, helped a little bit because they had to change their offense. And then suddenly Herbert's like, this guy is meant to throw the ball 35 times a game. 
and destroy you through the air and everyone just has to go with it. You can, there could be no resistance. You just got to go with it. That's right. It has uh, the, this <laughs> Tyrod Taylor getting the lung punctured, Austin Eckler going out. It's been a continuous evolution this season. And fortunately for fantasy players, it has resulted in Justin Herbert being a top five option at the position. Eddie, but we got to talk a little bit of heartbreak and disappointment. Who's your pick here? Kenyon Drake. Currently, the RB28, this was a guy that was being drafted in the second and third rounds of drafts in August. Um, meanwhile, Chase Edmonds is RB15 right now. Wow. And looks better when he's out there. Couldn't have, could have got him probably four or five rounds later. Was going undrafted in the wow. leagues. Wow, wow, yeah, wow, wow. Picked him up off waivers in quite a few leagues. Wow. That is saying something about Kenyon Drake and the utility just of the Cardinals running back in general. This right. is one of those offenses, kind of like the 49ers, where just that running back is valuable, whether it's Edmonds, who at this point we have to ask, is he a better running back than Kenyon Drake? I yeah. think at least for this season, the, the, the jury might be siding with, uh, with Edmonds on that one. The best running back there is Kyler, though. Correct. That is an accurate, yeah. uh, accurate uh, point there. Uh, so, Connor, wrap us up. Mark mentioned your surprise there with James Robinson. I hate to end with disappointment, but we got to do it, and we're going to go straight to the heart here with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, the disappointment side with Jonathan Taylor. It is, uh, it's, it's where to place the blame, right? And I, I, th I think there's a fair amount to go around. You know, was this just too much too soon? I mean, he was quoted kind of early on as how thankful he was to have a guy like Marlon Mack who has got a great skill set, great vision. I think that'd be Marlon's biggest strength. Uh, and I think that would help for a guy like Taylor who, yeah, he, he busted things up at Wisconsin. It was a bowling ball, but um, I, I think he was kind of just forced into action just because of Max Achilles. So I think there's some blame there and trying to figure out how to use him and what his best running style is. But it's just a, overall it looks like a, a lack of burst and you're supposed to have this dominant O-line, which I think has also regressed, especially in relation to the run game. Um, not so much the, the passing game when you consider, like Mark alluded to, you you literally have a statue back there, as we saw in the, the last game against Baltimore with him falling down on that tackle. So hard to figure out where the blame lies exactly, but there's a lot to go around there with, with Jonathan. Jonathan Taylor and why you're seeing a guy a second rounder kind of underperform in my opinion. Yeah, Mark, as a uh, as an outsider, are you help us out here? Give us a clear-eyed view of Jonathan Taylor. Should Colts fans be worried? I mean, Trent Richardson's name is getting brought yeah, don't up. Say that. Don't We're say, a little spooked that. right now. So, what's been your take on Taylor? Do we have reason to be optimistic or should we be very worried? I think he's he's been a disappointment, but I I think sometimes running backs can be dealing with you know, health stuff that we don't know about. Um, running backs can be really a year-to-year -year proposition where if he diagnosed his offseason a little bit differently and worked on certain things, guys can come back and look 10 times more explosive. I think Mark Ingram is someone that did that, that over the court, a, a couple years back, is one of his last years with the Saints, he looked like a completely different guy to me. Uh, and it helped him get um, a new contract there and then more work with Baltimore. And we saw what he did last year. So I would never write him off, but it has been one of the bigger problems because I think in theory you base the whole offense around him and they don't have the guy to do that. I mean, Naeem Hines has probably been more, you know, was underused last week. I mean, he's been a little bit more dangerous in that. And, and, you know, their whole Marlon, the whole Marlon Mack thing didn't go the way they wanted to. There were whispers in August that they actually liked Marlon Mack a lot more at that point. So, you know, the plan has not gone correctly. I wouldn't give up on the player yet. 
JT is a B-U-S-T bust, baby. Yeah, throw in the fart sound in just... Just as a total gut punch, you're fired from the show. I don't want to hear from you anymore the <laughs> rest of this Mark. hour. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, I agree, Mark. I think we have to take a wait-and-see approach. I think um, let's see how Jonathan Taylor's vision and burst looks. With a full offseason, hopefully not in a pandemic world, he gets a little more acclimated with this offense, and maybe maybe that will help with the issues that we're seeing. I'm I'm hopeful because this team needs him, I think, to be the kind of offense they want to be moving forward. So, Mark, as always, as Dan likes to say, you came on, you said it all, you did it all, and we so appreciate you coming on and making us laugh, enlightening our listeners. We uh, are just very thankful for you, Mark. Well, I, you know, it's really fun to uh, to do your show, and I told you that last time that I think you guys have this really, you know, you can't just make up chemistry out of nowhere. You you have it, and that's a gift. That's a cool thing, and um, I learned from you guys too. And I, you know, I apologize for dropping like forty two names on that last segment, but um, I'm going to keep listening and keep doing what you're doing, and talk to you soon. I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hit us with the details we mentioned at the top of the show, the podcast. Hit us with the Twitter handle. You know, what where can people find you and what can they expect from you coming up rest of season? Uh Twitter handle's just my name, Mark Sessler, Mark with a C. And uh we our our show is uh on a pretty rigid schedule. It's every Sunday night. Uh we go through every single game and we wait until the end of Sunday night football to cap it off with a recap of that. Uh, and so that's that's our one show. We do a Tuesday show uh, where we'll you know hit some news, maybe do a segment, have a guest, and then we have a Thursday preview show that you can listen to. Uh, the first half of it is also on NFL Network, um, appearing at 8 a.m. Uh, Eastern, and then sometime late at night uh, when people have a few beers in them. I hope to make the experience a little more enjoyable. That's where we are right now. We write a little bit. Um, I have a column that comes out every Tuesday on. NFL.com. I usually tweet it, tweet it out. Uh, that seems, seems like a lot of me and a lot of us. So, you know, pick your, pick your battles. There you go. Lots to choose from. Make sure you're tuning in to the pod. Make sure you're subscribed, follow Mark on Twitter and watch the ATN broadcast on NFL network. It is a great program. And Mark, will you give our love to all the gang, but in particular, Chris Wessling, one of our favorites going through a second battle with the big C a new father. I know this has been a challenging year in multiple respects for him. Please give our love and thoughts to Chris Wessling. Yeah, I will. He's a, he's a super strong guy. Um, he's been through this uh, twice now. And, uh, you know, whenever he is able to come on our show, I think that you, anyone who's a part of it and listening to it sees the difference. And that's what our show is. It's when he's there. And so um, I will pass it on. And um, I know it matters to him to, to hear from everyone. I mean, it's, you know, that's the kind of stuff, especially in these weird times where we can't really all go hang out with him as much as we would normally, like it, it can lift him up. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the pod and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to all of our patrons. Addie, this was a fun episode. We love having guests on the show. Mark is one of our favorites. And uh, we're going to keep plugging along and uh, bringing you guys some fun league-winning content the rest of the season. Yes, sir. Ready to go viral. Uh, Mark, he's <laughs> on this viral kick, Mark. I don't know that we'll ever get there. But if we do, you will never see Adam again. We'll call it microviral, right? Yeah, yeah, every, pod, for that yeah every, every podcast has, you know, that one guy that is like itching to become sort of super famous. So I think we've picked out who this who this is. And uh, hey. I, I wish you well on that front.
Thank you. Thank you. I want to go full blown viral and then get canceled a few days later. <laughs> Immediate cancel. Yeah, that's like, the biggest concern. Almost that's just immediately issue. getting canceled. In yeah. the same press release, <laughs> Markham has gone viral. Markham has been canceled. So look forward to that. Look forward to the shows we have coming up the rest of the week. Look forward to the Around the NFL podcast and another week of the NFL. The wheel keeps turning. Hopefully it doesn't fall off the wagon. We will see. Stay tuned. But thank you all for listening. Stay safe. Enjoy your weekend. And we will see you all next week. Dream team, Adam, Bobby, Josh, you got the news feed. It's the big three, it's the dream team. Big three, IDP, let's go.